Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. In it, Paul gets very personal about his own shortcomings, and he comforts the believers in Corinth. But he also teaches us that by embracing our own weakness, we are able to experience God's strength. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 1? And when you get there, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're looking this morning at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, or beginning in verse 12, sorry, and we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 4. So let's read that text together, and then we will dive in. For, verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 1, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness, in godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I, do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth, not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. Chapter 2, verse 1, but I determined this for my own sake. That I would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I cause you sorrow, who then makes me glad but the one whom I made sorrowful? This is the very thing I wrote you. So that when I came, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice. Having confidence in you all that my joy would be the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not so that you would be made sorrowful but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. You may be seated. As you read through that passage today, as we read through that, at first glance, you might think that Paul kind of just simply explains his travel plans with the church of Corinth and why they changed. 
Like, here's my itinerary, here's what um, I'm planning to do, I'm going to stop here, I'm going to go here, do this, do that. And, oh, but here's why it changed, right? Here's why, uh, what needs to be adjusted. But at a deeper level, the passage this morning answers this question for us. What do we do when our plans don't work out as expected? Let me ask that one more time. What do we do when our plans don't work out as we expected? You know, I've told you leading up, and I know there's a lot of uh, newer faces uh, to the church. And uh, my wife and I, we've been married a little over 15 years and um, I said a couple of weeks ago, we've gone through and experienced uh, unexplained infertility. And so, um, you know, adoption was always a, a, a thing on Mary's heart. And um, ever since she was a, a young girl, she traveled to the Philippines, went to an orphanage, and just always had a heart for adoption. Um, for me, I was just really selfish, and I had a lot of selfish ways to just kind of the Lord had to chisel off. And so I always told her early in our marriage, but even before the infer- unexplained infertility diagnosis, was that, oh, yeah, we'll adopt, we'll adopt one day, right? And, uh, but even knowing in my heart, I'm like, yeah, probably never going to happen. But the Lord used um, uh, this infertility to really change my heart and to really capture just my, um, my, just kind of my affection for the Lord in in a new way. And so as the Lord began to mold me and change me and burden my heart, um, the Lord led us to this road of adoption. And a little over 10 years ago, probably closer to 12 now, um, we started out, we went to a seminar at a, at a local church on the, actually the west side of Portland just to learn more, like what does it look like to adopt? We knew we didn't want to adopt in, in, in the States, we just wanted to, where's the need? And, and so we met with this adoption agency and they said, oh, the greatest need right now is Ethiopia. We said, really? Okay, let's, let's go to, with Ethiopia. And just knowing, uh, you know, our personalities, we, we rushed through that paperwork really fast. We, we, helped, we tried to fundraise, and, and the Lord really provided. And so we were, we were on the kind of like a, a waiting list. So we got our, all of our stuff, our international, our dossier was all complete, and all of those things, fingerprints, everything. We're on a waiting list with this organization, and... We're like, we hurried up to wait, right? Like, that's, that's kind of the comical thing in life sometimes. You hurry up and wait. And then while we're waiting and just growing, the Lord um, kind of made us aware of a six-year-old little girl over in Ethiopia in a, with a different adoption agency. It was kind of like this random happenstance, and we don't know there's something random with the Lord sometimes. And so we're, we find out, like, hey, there's this six-year-old little girl. Like, do you guys want to adopt her? And we got her picture. We got her profile. And they're like, she's like, adopt, like adoptive ready. Like right now, she's legally free. You can have her home by Christmas, and this is like March. And we're like, oh, my goodness. Like this is in- exciting. This is incredible. And so what do we do again? We, you know, Lord provides or, you know, we have, the funds come, and we, we hurried up. We had to do another home study. We had to do more paperwork, and so um, this is just incredible, and so I was working one day here at the church. This is now about 10 years ago, and I remember getting the phone call from this adoption agency, and she called me, and she says, Ryan, I have uh, bad news, and I said, what? And she says, uh, you know, a Orphans, like in Ethiopia, sometimes they're not true orphans. Sometimes they still have um, one um, parent um, that's still alive. But even though the child is raised in the orphanage, they still somewhat have a little bit of legal custody, legal rights. And so um, they contacted the dad, told him about you guys, but he doesn't want his daughter to be adopted. He wants her to just age out in the orphanage there. 
And so there's really nothing we could do. And in a moment's time, that adoption completely fell through. And I just remember going to Pastor Kevin's office sobbing because I just didn't know how to tell my wife. I didn't know. I'm like, God, I just thought this was you. We were, we were following your, your lead a few months later or just re- relatively in that same season. Ethiopia completely, the government completely closed down the country to any international adoptions. And so just in a very short amount of time, the, we were going for two like, adoptions. And just like that, both off the table. Completely devastated, completely confused. You know, we had all of these plans. We had all of these, you know, just we, we, we spent tens of thousands of dollars. We filled out tens of thousands of pages of paperwork and what it felt like. God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? Like, I thought you called us to adopt. We've made these plans. We've spent all this money. And here we are. We're left with two failed adoptions. This wasn't what we expected. This wasn't what we hoped. This wasn't our plan. Now, I know that many of you this morning might be in that place right now where life hasn't worked out the way that you expected. In fact, each and every one of us will be in that place in life one point or another. But what do we do when our plans don't work out as we expected? And that's the question that I'm praying that we'll answer through God's word this morning. Because what I want to do is walk through this text together. Uh, First, we're going to look at it in kind of two parts. First, we're going to see how Paul's plans didn't work out as he expected. And then we're going to kind of go back and apply it to our lives. And so to understand 2 Corinthians, we actually, this chapter, we actually have to go back, if you will. So if you have your Bibles, just turn back like one page to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul wrote, the, 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 you know, is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. It's a young, it's a growing church in ancient Greece. We walked through 1 Corinthians all last year, and at the very end of this letter... He's kind of dealing with some practical matters, right? He's talking about his travel plan. So 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 5, says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. He says, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So again, there Paul is just simply laying out, he's communicating his travel plans to the church in Corinth. But there's two key words there. There's, and there's a phrase right there at the end that I want to look at. He first says, the first word is intend. Did you notice that? That's what he says in verse 5. He says, I intend to pass through Macedonia. Then in verse 6, he says, perhaps, like perhaps I will stay with you. Maybe even for the winter. And then I love at the very end of that verse, it says, at verse 7, he says, after all of that, if the Lord permits. So again, he's sharing his plans He's planning to to go to Macedonia and then afterwards to come and visit them in Corinth. But that's not what ended up happening. Here's what actually happened. Paul sent the letter of 1 Corinthians to the church. They didn't receive it well, right? Because it was a letter of correction. Very strongly worded letter. And then Paul hears that there's some intruders coming into the church. Causing even more problems. And so what he does, he actually goes back sooner than he planned. He heard about what was going on. And he calls it, we know what he calls it in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 1. He calls it a sorrowful visit. 
or some of your translations might say a painful visit. And they actually, it didn't go as Paul would hope it would have gone. They actually attacked his character. And so he leaves. He plans to return again at another time. But then later on, at some point, he decides that rather than going again, I'm just going to send another letter. If I went, it would be too painful. And so he calls this letter a letter of tears that he wrote with affliction and anguish of heart. And so he sends this letter. We don't have that letter instead of visiting him. And then finally, the Lord really used that letter and most of the Corinthians repented, but some still opposed Paul. Now, if I lost you at all in that summary, let me just simplify it real quick, okay? Paul made plans, and then he changed his plans twice. The first time, he came earlier than he was going to come. And the second time, he didn't come at all, but he wrote that sorrowful letter. And so Paul changed his plans. They responded. They didn't take to this really well. They responded to his change of plans by questioning his character and accusing him of being unreliable. They're like, Paul, you said you were going to come. You didn't come, Paul, like so clearly you don't have integrity. Clearly we can't trust you. Paul, you're wishy-washy, right? Like you say one thing, but you, you do another thing. Like what kind of leader, what kind of pastor are you? And so what Paul does is here he writes 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is intended to reconcile him with the church, to also defend his ministry against those who were attacking him. So I want to look at Paul's response here in 2 Corinthians. And I want this morning for us to see how he responds to their criticism on him changing their plans. And so in verses 12 through 14, Paul defends his ministry. He defends his ministry. Like I said earlier, many people responded well to, to Paul's earlier letter that he wrote, that letter of tears. But then there were some that still questioned him. So let's look at uh, verses 12 through 14. Let me read it one more time. For our proud confidence is this. The testimony of our conscience that in holiness, in godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end. Just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus." So again, Paul is defending his integrity here. He says, we did this. We did all of these changes with a clear conscience, with a clean conscience. And he's saying, man, I can stand just blameless before the Lord based off of what I did, the plans that I made, the reasons I had to change them, and even why I had to change them. And not only did you notice that he says, I have a clean conscience, but he says here that he conducted himself in holiness, in holiness. Um, other translations might say simplicity. That word um, holiness means unmixed motives. So Paul, again, he's saying, like, I have integrity in all of this, like, single-mindedness. Like, I haven't, I'm not wavering back and forth. He says godly sincerity. Like, like, hey, guys, I'm not messing with you. Like, I'm not trying to, like, say one thing and just do another. Like, I genuinely care for you. I'm genuine in the reasons why I made those plans. Like, I wanted to come to you, but I had to change my plans. And he says, I mean, not in fleshly wisdom. That's important here. This is an important defense that Paul's making. But he says, but in the grace of God. 
Paul has been criticized by the Corinthians. They didn't think that Paul was qualified enough to be a leader, to be an apostle, because he wasn't impressive by worldly standards. They, look at, they looked at Paul and they said, man, dude, you've suffered too much. Like, you've, you've gone through too many different, difficult things in life. Like, you're not a powerful orator. You don't have the right credentials. And so Paul's kind of responding to them here when, he's, when he says, not in fleshly wisdom, right? But in the grace of God, he says, yeah, I have suffered a lot, right? Yeah, they're like, I'm with you. Like, I have, I've gone through a lot, and I don't have some of those things. I, I don't have some of the credentials that some of your people and your city um, have. But he says, what I do have is the grace of God, and I can stand on the grace of God. And I can say with integrity, here are my intentions. Here's what I'm doing. And it genuinely comes out of a place of love. And so again, in, in verses 12 through 14, Paul's defending his integrity. But then in verses 15 and 18, he continues to explain these changes. Let's read it one more time. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you. So that you might twice receive a blessing, that is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. Paul's saying like simply this, like listen, when I said I was going to come to you after I passed through Macedonia, that was my intention. That's what I was planning to do. I wasn't lying to you. I wasn't vacillating. I wasn't saying two things at once. That's what I was planning. The situation changed and I had to adjust my plans based off of that. There's no hidden motives, Corinth. Like quit taking it so personal. Paul's change in plans made the Corinthian believers say that Paul must be a man who says yes but really means no. Or says no but really means yes. Kind of a double-minded man. And so they were struggling with Paul. They were struggling with these changes and they're taking it all out on him. And so he's, he's explaining his heart here. He's explaining what's going on. And then in verses 19 through 22, Paul continues but I notice this, he appeals to the sovereignty of God. He says there's a bigger plan going on here. It's, it was fine that the Corinthian believers um, you know, were to be disappointed with Paul, right? That he didn't come you know, and visit them, but they weren't right in blaming Paul. They weren't right. There was something bigger going on. They needed to see Paul's heart, but more than that, they needed to see the hand of God in these circumstances. So look at verse 19. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So once again, Paul's saying, I made my plans. 
God had different plans, right? He had different purposes. And so I just simply adjusted accordingly. If you've ever been on the mission field, ever, if you've ever gone on a mission trip, you kind of understand these things, right? We make our plans, right? And then something happens. And then you just have to go with the flow, right? We teach our kids that all the time. We go with the flow, right? Pastor Chuck Smith always coined the phrase, like, blessed are the flexible. It's like, hey, that's not, Jesus didn't say that. Like, oh, Chuck did. Okay, blessed are the flexible, right? They shall bend and not be broken, right? And so that's, that's what he's saying here. He says, if there was a change of our plans, he says, don't blame me. Look to God. Look to God. Like, I'm following after him. He knows all things. He's the one setting the course, not me. We're just following orders. And Paul could say with confidence to these believers, you know, some, hey, you guys, you guys might question us. You might question my motives. You might even question our authority, our sincerity. But he knew that their real issue was not with them. It was with God. It was with God, and they, and they had a hard time seeing that. And Paul says, it is God who established us. Notice the next word. It was, it's God who anointed us, right? That's that, that calling. It was God who sealed us. Paul's saying, if you have a problem, don't take it up with me. Take it up with the Lord. And now lastly, Paul clarifies his motives. Why is he doing what he's doing? And we see that in verse 23 through chapter 2, verse 4. He says, but I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth, not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith you are standing firm. Now he's saying, I I didn't do this. I didn't change my plans. I didn't not come to you, right? To upset you, to hurt you, to confuse you. But he says, but to spare you. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. But I determined this for my own sake that I would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I cause you sorrow, who then makes me glad but the one who I made sorrowful? This is the very thing I wrote to you so that when I came, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice. Having confidence in you all that my joy would be the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, notice this, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. The Corinthians, they they perceive this, this change as betrayal. As fickleness from a leader, they don't even know if they can fully trust. And, and Paul, is, is, as he's clarifying, he says, this is actually proof of my love for you. What? This is my, my love for you. Paul's saying, my intentions have been the same throughout. I have not wavered. Paul loves this church in Corinth. He planted it. He has pastored it. He is a spiritual father, he calls that. and He, he refers to himself there in, in 1 Corinthians. And because his intentions are the same, because his love hasn't wavered, his plans though did. His plans changed. And Paul says, if I would have come, it would have been another sorrowful visit. And who wants that? It would have been another painful visit. So I didn't come to you. I wrote to you instead. And I think this is the wisdom of God here in Paul's life. Paul wisely understood that considering all the circumstances, considering all of the emotions at play here, man, this church was young, kind of hot-headed, kind of messy, right? They didn't really know and tr- or they didn't really trust Paul. But so Paul knew, he considered all of that, and through wisdom, he determined that a letter was better than a personal visit. A letter gave him the opportunity to truly 
communicate his heart, to be very clear on his concerns. And it would give them an opportunity to read it slowly. They can read it twice. They could read it three times, right? They could take a deep breath, you know, after the first time. Like, what? Like, they could take a deep breath. And they can be like, okay, Lord, what do you have for us in this? It would give them the opportunity and the room to think through this. Without emotion, you know, without all of just the, the, yeah, the, the, just the hot-headedness, if you will. And just to give them room to just truly say, God, what do you have here? Is there areas in, um, in our lives that we need to repent? Like what's the truth versus not truth? And so, um, so Paul sends them that in wisdom. In wisdom. So let me summarize real quick what's going on. I know I'm covering a lot of this. We're zooming out. We're kind of um, going a little quickly. But here's what happened if you, if you missed all of that. Paul intended to visit them. He changed his plans multiple times. And the church in Corinth questioned his character over it. And he defends himself. He explains himself and he appeals to the sovereignty of God. That's what Paul did when things didn't go as he planned. That's what Paul did when things didn't go as he expected. And this morning I want to ask the question as we're looking at the Apostle Paul's life is what about you? What about me? Like what do we do when things don't work out as we planned? You know, I have, a, I have a child, I'm not going to tell you which one, but you might relate to this. I have a child who cannot handle it when we have plans and they subtly change. Like they just, you know, there was no reason for the change, or there was maybe a reason for the change. You know, we have plans and they get canceled. One of my kids, they just, it is so devastating to them. They haven't learned yet to kind of go with the flow, roll with the punches, and they take it so personal. I don't know if you can relate to that if you have kids, or maybe you were a child like that. They put all of their hopes, all right? They have a, we have a family calendar and they're like counting down the days to go to Winco or whatever we were doing that day, you know, or just, or whatever. And, and then they change, right? Maybe someone gets sick or maybe someone, had to cancel, you know, with us or whatever. And so they put all of their hopes, all of their excitement just in these things. And the slightest change, they're like, no, but why, right? Like, I wanted to go to Winco or whatever, you know, like, why do you hate me? Like, it's not personal. Like, I love you. Do I not matter? <laughs> I don't know if you can relate to that. Some of you parents are like, yes, this morning, you know, <laughs> But some of you here today have plans. Some of you have particular career plans, right? And it just hasn't worked out the way you hoped. Some of you today thought you would be married by now, but that's just, that just hasn't happened for you. Some of you, maybe this morning, you thought you'd still be married by now, but life hasn't gone according to that plan. Some of you that never thought that health crisis and, and just illness and physical limitations were not in the cards for you. And it has vastly changed your expectations on your life. The things you thought you could do, you can't do anymore. So again, let me ask the question, what do we do when things don't work out in our lives the way that we planned? What do we do? Do we try to just take matters into our own hands and power through them and force things to happen? Do we start changing our plans just to live by someone else's standards and expectations on our lives? Do we allow that disappointment in life to, to drive us to bitterness, right? To drive us to, and that's what kind of just drives us is the, is the bitterness because life didn't happen the way that it should have happened according to me. Well, this passage, again, shows us what to do. And I pray, and, I, and I'm even just praying for my own heart this morning. Lord, I want to I learn from your word. I want to learn, God, what should I do? Because, guys, this is life. 
It's not your life. It's just life when life doesn't go according to plan. And so the first thing that we have to do this morning, if you're taking notes, is to trust the sovereignty of God. Trust God's sovereignty. I want to look back at verse 19. He's been talking again, the Apostle Paul, about the reason why he changed his plans. He's defending himself. But then he says in verse 19, For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who is preached among you by us, by me, by Sylvanus, by Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. So Paul shifts in this verse from his reasons to God's sovereignty. And if you don't know that word sovereignty, it simply means he reigns over all. Right? So God is a, a king who, who all things in life work in accordance with his will. And the sovereignty of God means that God is just all powerful. And his purposes are unstoppable. We can trust his sovereignty. It means that no one, no, no force, no human can thwart his plans because no one compares to his power. Amen? Isaiah 46. you gotta, you got to always remember Isaiah 46. This is an amazing declaration of God's sovereignty. Let me read it to you beginning in verse 9. For I am God. This is the Lord speaking. And there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. That is a beautiful, powerful declaration of the sovereignty of God. And so what I want to do this morning is, is in that verse, take one verse in there, and I want to just zoom in on this phrase. It's in verse 10. It says this, I will accomplish all my purpose. Six words, that's it. Six words. And I think it gives you a quick summary of the, of the sovereignty of God. God says, I will do it. Look at that word, I. God's like, I will accomplish my purpose in my timing. Listen, if we're willing to, to believe in God's power, then we have to recognize that it is God. God is the one who will accomplish these things. It's all on him. He draws us in. What we do in life matters. Don't, don't get me wrong in this. But ultimately, God's plan will be accomplished with his power. Secondly, he says, I will, I will accomplish all my purpose. So if we're believing in God's power, then we also must trust his timing. When he says, when he says he will do it, guys, he will do it, right? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, right? And so he says will, and if we can be honest this morning, if I can be honest, that is one of the hardest and most difficult things to do in life is to trust the timing of God. To trust in it. Why isn't God doing this yet? Why isn't he showing up? I don't, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. So why, 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 do, why does God expect us to trust his timing? Because he wants us to trust his character. He wants us to trust his character. And God says, I will accomplish all my purpose. So God takes action. God's involved. He speaks, the sun rises, right? He commands the wind and the waves. He's ruler over the world as creator, but also sustainer. That's amazing. And he says, I will accomplish all of my purposes. So we're not just talking about, you know, God's generic providence here. God is sovereign over the good and the bad, the big and the small. He's sovereign over life, but he's also sovereign over death. He knows the number of our days. 
He's sovereign over pain, but he's also sovereign over prosperity. Ephesians uh, chapter 1, Paul says that the Lord works all things in accordance to the counsel of his will. Job says that the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And God says, I will accomplish all my purposes. God is after his purposes. It's his agenda. I don't know if you were, you were told when you came to Jesus that God is going to fulfill your plans and your dreams for your life. I'm sorry, that's not true. God will accomplish his will and his purposes for his glory. And he says, I will accomplish all my purpose. Not just random power. Not just flippant, not just reactionary. God made a plan before the foundations of the earth. And we know that plan, right? This world is broken and marred by sin. And God is healing it by his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. And so God says, I will accomplish all my purpose. That's the sovereignty of God in a nutshell. So it's a big word. We don't have to be scared of it. We get to rest in that. We get to be comforted by that. And God's sovereign purposes are revealed in his promises. And that's what the Apostle Paul is bringing Corinth back to Okay, we, we, we look at the day-to-day, but look at the bigger picture here. The plans and the purposes of God are found in his promises. So, so back in 2 Corinthians, where, where we're seeing God's sovereignty and his purposes play out, look at verse 20 with me again. For as many as are the promises of God in him, that is Christ, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God. Through us. Now look at that, just that second part real quick, and then we'll go up to the first part later. Verse, verse 20, that, that lower part, he says, Therefore, also through him, through Jesus, is our amen. Now that word amen, I don't know if you know what it means. It doesn't mean the end, okay? <laughs> That's not what the word amen is. It's not like, dear, dear Jesus, like um, help us today, the end. <laughs> like we use amen for that. No, no. Amen is a Hebrew word, kind of gets borrowed in the Greek, that literally means to affirm the truth of something spoken. So if I say something and it's true, and you want to affirm that truth, you say, amen. And so it's not just that it is true, but it's affirming, it's acknowledging it as truth. It's receiving it. It's saying, so be it, right? Yes, like that is right. I affirm that. I receive that. And so if, if, if I say something, as, you know, as the pastor, and you want to verbally affirm that truth, Paul's saying, then you say amen to that. So if I say this morning, the Lord is good, church, you say. <laughs> if I say, the Lord is faithful, you say. <clears throat> now let's get to it. Verse 20, that's the first part. This is so powerful. Because what he's saying in verse 20 is that all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. You see, the whole Bible, Genesis through Revelation, is a story. It's one story. You're like, that's multiple stories. It's one story that culminates in Jesus the King. It's not a story. It's not, a, it's not a, you know, stories of, of role models, but a story to point us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. The Savior that we can trust him. The Bible is not a manual about all that we should do for God. It is a story about all that God has done for us. And that story unfolds in history through the promises of God. And throughout, and throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible, God makes all sorts of promises. Think with me this. I'm going to rattle these off really quick. In Genesis chapter 3, God promises victory over evil. 
In Genesis 12, God promises blessings to the nations. In Isaiah 40, God promises comfort for his people. In Isaiah 53, God promises healing. In Isaiah 61, God promises justice to the ends of the earth. In Psalm 23, God promises rest. In Psalm 29, God promises peace. In Daniel 12, God promises eternal life. In Zechariah 9, God promises salvation. And so again, you see throughout Scripture, throughout uh, the, the Bible, these promises unfolding. And Paul, remember what Paul says here in verse 20, for as many as are the promises of God in him, in Jesus, they are yes. That's good news. So church this morning, the promise of victory is fulfilled in Jesus. The promise of blessing is fulfilled in Jesus. The promise of comfort is fulfilled in Jesus. The promise of healing is fulfilled in Jesus. The promise of justice is fulfilled in Jesus. The promise of rest is fulfilled in Jesus. The promise of peace is fulfilled in Jesus. The promise of eternal life, fulfilled in Jesus. The promise of salvation is fulfilled in Jesus. The promises of God are yes in Christ. Amen? Amen. <laughs> This is hope. So when our plans don't work out in life, when we don't know what's going on, God, what are you doing? We simply trust in the sovereignty of God that even though we might not know, we trust that he knows. Even though we might not understand, we trust that it's his plan, right? And that he has kept all of his promises, and that he will remain faithful. And even if his plans aren't our plans, his plans are good. He has a perfect track record, and we can trust him. So that's the first thing we do when life doesn't go as planned. We trust in God's sovereignty. The second thing, and keep it really simple, is we make our plans in pencil. We still make our plans. I want you to know that. Some, some, some pastors will tell you, just throw out your plans. God doesn't need them. No, no, Paul made plans, okay? It's okay. Look at verses 15 and 16 one more time. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. So Paul made plans. And it's very clear in Scripture that God's sovereignty does not mean that we don't do anything. And I want to be very clear. Just because God is sovereign, it doesn't mean that we're not responsible. It doesn't mean that we're not called to be good stewards and to take action, right? So Paul made plans, but he made them in pencil, okay? He, it says he intended to come. He said, man, I want to come. And remember what he says in 1 Corinthians 16. If the Lord permits... And so it's okay for us to make plans. It might, it's okay for us to make plans for our lives, right? Some of you have a five-year plan, right? Some of you have like a 20-year plan. Some of you might not be around in 20 years, but that's okay. But like we, we make plans. We're called to be good stewards of our time, our talent, our treasures, all for the glory of God. It's, it's good for us to ask those questions. How am I using my time? Right? How am, I, how am I using my money? Am I stewarding my possessions? I think of James chapter 4. Let me read it. It says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. 
So we should be intentional and deliberate about making plans, right? Orchestrating our lives around God's plan, right? For the glory of God. But we make them in pencil. We recognize that any of our plans, they ultimately submit to his plan. Amen? But that's super hard. Why? Because we have plans. I have my dreams, right? I have my desires, and in the spirit of honesty, how much, though, if I think about it, how much of my dreams and my plans and your dreams and your plans are for my kingdom or are they for God's kingdom? That's the hardest thing. I often think of what the Lord says in Isaiah 55. I often come back to this. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts your thoughts. Sometimes I read that and I say, and I read it this way. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Ryan. Nor are your ways my ways, Ryan, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, Ryan. And my thoughts than your thoughts, Ryan. I don't speak to myself. That's the Lord. I kind of (laughs) just so. (laughs) And so the call this morning, church, is to trust in God's sovereign plan, that he has a plan, that he's trustworthy and, he, and it's true and it's, he's reliable, but we still have to make our plans as the Spirit leads us, as the Spirit empowers us. But we make our plans in pencil because we know and we trust in the character of God that his plans are better, his, his, his ways are higher, and our call is not to adapt his plans to our plans, but ours to his I think of Proverbs 16, 9, the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So we make our plans. It's okay. It doesn't say the mind of man should never make his ways. No, the mind of man makes his ways, but ultimately it's the Lord who directs our steps. That's our hope. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, very well-known passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So that's the call this morning in all of our ways to acknowledge him, not just on Sundays, not just in our spiritual life, right? Acknowledge him on Monday, acknowledge him on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, and Saturday. Acknowledge him in your relationships. Acknowledge him in your work, in your parenting, in all of your emotions. Acknowledge him intentionally, deliberately. Build your life around him. Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God. Right? Seek first. Be, let that be your priority in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Guys, we can acknowledge him because he is trustworthy. Because he's got the whole world in his hands. We sing it as kids and I don't know why we stop singing it as adults. He's got the whole world in his hands. Now, I started this morning telling you about how our adoption plans didn't go as we expected them when we first set out to build our family and and do so through adoption. But I didn't tell you what happened next. After our second adoption fell through, after, again, we filled out and filed endless amounts of paperwork, you know, side note to that, we bought our first house like four years ago and everyone warned us, oh, it's a lot of paperwork, try adopting a child first. Okay, and then I'll tell you, (laughs) the house was nothing. Um, But adopting a child, you know, we filled out... Filled out papers, tens of thousands of dollars. We were left devastated, disappointed, and lost. And a few weeks afterwards, Pastor Doug had me share on a Wednesday night. And I remember this night so vividly. I don't have a good memory, but I remember this night so vividly. I was speaking out of the book of James about counting it all joy. I was speaking in faith, not by feelings, because I didn't feel it then. But the Lord was doing a work in me. 
the Lord was speaking to me, Ryan, not all is lost. Like, I know what I'm doing. Right, God, like I'm still behind the scenes. Like we, the call for us was to take heart because of that. Even though we didn't see the goodness of God, we trusted the goodness of God. Right, even though we didn't see it, He was still good, and that's where faith comes in. Well, little did I know that of, out of all nights, just so happened, if you were here for Ruth, um, that my friend, good friend, he was the best man in my wedding, was here that night, and he never comes, but he came that night. He heard me speak. And uh, he called me the next morning. I remember I was driving towards the Starbucks and Milwaukee Marketplace. Again, I remember this so vividly because God was at work. And, um, and I thought he was calling me to correct my theology. He's, he's a Bible nerd and all of that. I'm like, oh, man, what did I say wrong last night? And uh, he calls me and says, hey, Ryan, like I, I was listening last night. Just I know that you and Mary um, are walking through this painful season. I don't know what God has for you. But um, my wife and I, we have a good friend. Uh, they, they go out to Good Shepherd. They're followers of Jesus and their foster parents and they've been praying for for a Christian couple to adopt uh, these two little boys that they're fostering would, would you guys be interested I know you just went through hard heartache and and through pain and and uh, and I just said and I'm looking there and I'm just on the phone and I'm like well I'll have my wife call your wife right like I'm just gonna pass the buck and I'm thinking to myself um, through this I'm like God I'm not ready for the heartbreak again like, I'm, God, I'm not ready to put, be vulnerable, put my heart out there and, and, and just, like, the unknownness. But I, as I prayed, I'm just like, you know what, God, if, if maybe. Like, and so I called Mary, and I'm like, Mary, call Aaliyah, and, and, um, and just kind of figure out. And um, to make a very long story short, if Mary was here, she would give you all of the details. But to make a very, very long story short, through devastation, through loss, through the unknownness of life, eight years ago, God allowed us to adopt our two sons. And uh, it's incredible that it's been eight years. And even though I never thought it was in the cards, right? It wasn't my plan. If you know, my, if you know the story at all, uh, I told God from day one, I said, God, I will only adopt a baby. And I will never adopt from foster care of the United States. Like, those are my two plans. <laughs> Have you ever heard the saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. This was not how I would have done things. This is not my plan, my will 12 years ago, but submitting to the will and the sovereignty of God, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, his plans are better. His ways are higher. And today I am the blessed father and God has given me and my wife a beautiful family. And I, not to only, I don't get to just uh, parent and father those two boys, but my daughter as well. And I think we have a picture if you haven't seen my family. Do we have a picture? Yep. It's coming. Wow, there it is. Isn't that a beautiful family? Amen. God's plan in God's timing, God's glory. God's glory. But I think about back to when those two adoptions fell through, and I remember thinking, God, do you even have a plan? Ever thought that? God, have you forgotten about me? All my friends are having kids. I watched another pastor just like six months ago, like earlier, go through the Ethiopia adoption in like six months, right? Like, God, did you forget about us? God, what are you doing? This isn't working out the way I thought. You see, I had plans, but God's plans were better. I can look back now and see that clear as day, but I couldn't see it then. I couldn't see it then. And the challenge and the invitation for us this morning is to believe it while we're in the midst of it to trust in the sovereignty of God, to say my plans haven't worked out and this is hard and it's different than I thought, but I know that God has a purpose and he's working it out and I can trust him. 
I can trust him. And some of us this morning are in that place right now. We don't know what God is doing. You might not know in your life, whatever it is that you're going through, what God is doing. He, you know, we want our way instead of his, and we're confused with his timing. And, and I just want us this morning, this is my prayer, is that we would trust in the sovereignty of God. That even though we don't know, he knows. And even though our plans have unraveled, his plans will be completed. And as we make plans for our lives, and I've learned this the hard way, we make plans in pencil. (laughs) Because we're called to, yes, be intentional, to be faithful stewards, but ultimately our hope is in God who accomplishes his purposes through his son, Jesus Christ. Our plans, his purpose. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times, location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Join us next week as we continue in our study together. Thank you.